This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, November 5th, 2020. And my guest is Andy Boxall of Digital Trends. Hi, Andy. How are you? Hi, Miriam. I am very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. So it's a bit of a quiet news week for obvious reasons, with the U.S. being uh, in the middle of a crazy election, as you know, having voted myself. But we have a bunch of fun stuff to talk about. And I have had you on today specifically because I wanted to have a different perspective. We've been talking a lot with U.S. media here on the show about, you know, those phones that are all in our hands right now, the Mate 40 Pro, the Pixel 5, the OnePlus 8T, the Galaxy S20 Fan Edition. And I'm kind of curious because you've played with a lot of these. What's your perspective from the other side of the pond? So yeah, what's your take on the current state of the phones in general? Are you happy with what we're getting? I, I'm extremely happy. I've been lucky enough to play with all of those phones that you've mentioned and a, and a wide variety more. And the thing that's really striking me this year is price. I seem to remember last year doing this exactly same, same thing where we talk about lots of different phones and everything was over sort of $1,000 or £900, up and up and up. But this year, I've got such a lovely choice where I can spend $200 or even $300 less than that and still get a phone that I want to continue using. I'm in that enviable situation of being able to change to any phone. But I've not really felt the need to do that with so-called mid-range phones this year. And that's what's made it so exciting for me, that people are actually paying attention to price again, instead of just giving us $1,000, $1,200 phones that are all singing, all dancing, when in reality now we've got chips and hardware that makes a mid-range six to $700 phone equally as capable in my eyes. Yeah, no, I 100%. I feel that the tipping point started happening with a bit of a delayed reaction mid-summer-ish when the 765, you know, Snapdragon 765 and 765G really kind of uh, started, you know, coming out in in large quantities on various devices. And we now have this uh, the Nord N10 5G with the 690, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to share my thoughts with my audience about that soon. Uh, but it's, uh, it's interesting to see how the market is changing and yet how the performance and quality of the products are are staying there uh, at a decent price point. Because, you know, really, $1,000 for a phone, like, nobody needs... I don't think anybody needs a Snapdragon 865 phone today unless they're a hardcore gamer. No, and even then, the 765G is still perfectly capable for running what I consider high-end games, Asphalt 9 Legends and things yep, like that. Yep. They're tough for mid-range phones used to be to run, but now... It's no problem. There's no heat. There's no slowdown. It looks fantastic. And as I said, I can't speak about the 690 yet, but I also have a Xiaomi Mi 10T Lite I requested specifically to try out the 750G because that is another 5G chip from Qualcomm that just landed. And it's, I guess, supposedly slightly detuned over the 765. So I'm kind of curious to see how that pans out as well, mm. you know. And mentioning 5G there as well, it used to be that when you bought a really high-end phone, you'd get all the top stuff and 5G could be considered top stuff today. But 
you can still get that on a phone that's half that price again. So there's not even that necessity to leap up to get 5G. It's not a selling point for a $1,200 phone. It's really, it's great for people. That's what's good about this. No, absolutely. So let's jump into a $1,000 phone to start, <laughs> and then we'll we'll actually have a good conversation about that that sweet spot of seven $600 price point there. So the, the Mate 40 Pro, I have one finally. I've unboxed it. Stay tuned for my unboxing video, folks. Stay tuned for my photos on Instagram and all that. I've been really busy with a bunch of embargoed reviews and things that I need to take care of to pay my bills. That it means I haven't had time to go out and do some great photo shoot with the Mate 40 Pro. So that's why I have Andy on because Andy already did that. <laughs> Andy, what are your thoughts on this phone? I mean, in general, but also maybe on a perspective from imaging and, you know, is Huawei raising the bar? Do you feel with this phone or they're just cruising along? Because on paper, it doesn't look that much more exciting than the Mate 30 Pro did, right? It's definitely, it's not more exciting. But in my view, when I used it, I thought that was a good thing. It okay. didn't necessarily have those really standout things on the Mate 30 Pro like that, the virtual volume button, the virtual power button, and the really sharp curved side of the screen. It still has that sharp curve, but it's much more refined. It doesn't feel like a concept phone anymore. The Mate 30 Pro did feel a bit concepty, and it didn't feel very comfortable in the hand but they've really refined that with the Mate 40 Pro. I think they've learned from the P40 that comfort matters in hand. So I think that it is exciting, but internally, they've got a new chip inside, the Kirin 9000, I think it's called, something like that. Yes. And it's, it's genuinely an exciting chip. If, you're, if you look at the specs, it's like nothing else. Yeah, I, I look, I, I feel like, it's a good-looking phone. I'm pretty happy with it, mm. at least superficially, since I haven't really used it. I thought the Mate 30 Pro was an interesting phone as well. But at the same time, you know, it's like we don't have a lot of specs. Like we just, you know, we don't know much. Like there's some benchmarks coming out on the Kirin 9000. It seems to be, you know, pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, your photos look really good. Uh, the main sensor seems to be the same on paper, right, as the, as the P40 at least the P40 Pro and P40 Pro Plus? From what I've been told, the difference is, if it's the same sensor, it could very well be, but the difference is the ISP, the, the, the chip ah. side of it, is all different inside that improves what you get from the cameras. So it doesn't matter technically if it's the same sensor as the P40 or even the Mate 30. It's the chip and the ISP that makes the difference inside. and. In my testing, I've taken about 100, 150 photos and I've enjoyed using it more than I enjoyed using the P40 Pro. And when I say enjoyed, I mean that it makes me want to take more photos because they look good. And it's just the aesthetics of the photos you're getting or is... That's it. When I... Because I'm no pro photographer, but when oh, I... come on. Don't undersell yourself, Andy. I've seen your photos on Instagram. You're a master. You you might not be a pro, but like me, I'm not a pro either. But I feel I feel like you and I have an eye for photography, which is why we can say like what you just said. I, I like the photos this phone takes more than X Y Z, right? That's it. Yeah. Thank you. And you're too kind, by the way. It, it's it's when I go out and I take a photo that I think 
I want it to look like that. And then the phone makes it look like that. And that then encourages me to go and do it again and again and try different, different modes and things like that. But when it looks different to what I imagine it will look like, I find that much more difficult to get into using it because every time I use it, I'm just a bit disappointed. But that didn't happen yeah. with the Mate 40 oh. Pro. Well, you know, I think Huawei's like technical chops have never been in question for the last especially since the P20 Pro, in my opinion, which is like two gener- three generations now. But I feel like you're right. There is always been like a certain uncertainty in the result, like color balance being a little off between lenses, sometimes yeah. sharpening and detail being weird. And it's not as bad as Samsung was for a while there, where Samsung was consistently overblown, right? Um, and I think Samsung's improved as well. I've really enjoyed the Note 20 Ultra. And... I feel like, yeah, I feel that that's definitely something that, you know, Apple has shown the way, right? Like their technology is good, certainly, but it's not the best. And yet the results speak for themselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's sort of talk of a a non-distortion wide angle lens. I'm not quite sure whether that's on the Pro or the Pro Plus version of the Mate 40, but whatever they do, the wide angle camera on here I think, again, is better than I've seen before and better than most other wide-angle lenses I use. And again, huh. it just makes it more exciting and more interesting to, to go out and take photos. That's interesting because, you know, on paper, that was my big thing when, we, when the phone was announced. And at the time, I can't remember who my guest was that week, but we talked about the specs and we looked and we're like, that. We, I really liked the ultra-wide on the Mate 30 Pro and the P40 Pro and Pro Plus, like that 40 megapixel, the the detail, the crispness, the amount of data you got out of that because of the pixel binning and everything and the low light performance, all of these were, I felt, pushing the bar forward. And I feel another unsung hero in ultra-wide photography, believe it or not, is the uh, my daily driver, the OnePlus 8 Pro, because of its 48 megapixel IMX586 as a ultra-wide. Now, OnePlus still has a lot to learn in terms of, you know, software and image processing compared to, you know, those companies we've just been talking about. But I feel that the ultra wide on the on the 8 Pro is is one of those, you know, pixel binning. You, you can really get some benefits and 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 has autofocus on the ultra wide for macro photography, which is a really very clever way of implementing macro photography. But anyway, I digress. The point I'm making is that I was a little taken aback when I saw the specs and you know, as you know, I've recently mentioned this, Uber of Uber Gizmo has done this great uh, work around kind of competing with DxOMark recently of doing the, the image quality tests and the hardware quality um, index for various phones. And he, he, he nails it on the head. You can look at a sensor and at the lens system physically and determine a pretty good baseline as to how good a camera system is going to be. And if you compare the Mate 30 Pro, the P40 Pro Ultra Wide on paper with the 20 megapixel, that little bit we know about the Mate 40 Pro sensor, there's, there's a decrease there in absolute you know, baseline quality. So clearly, obviously, software is a big part of the equation. And yeah. clearly, like uh, Huawei is doing something special there because hearing it from you reassures me tremendously. <laughs> I, I just I, I took it out yesterday and it's uh, obviously it's autumn in, in the UK now. And I went through uh, a park and the autumn colours that this picked up, particularly on video, 
I don't talk enough about video. I don't know whether you'd go out and test video as much as you feel. Not you much, should. but I mean, I use it. I try. That's it. it. Yeah, me too. But I was, I was genuinely impressed with this, particularly with the wide angle again. And I think a lot of that comes down to that software prowess and the new ISP to just make those colors pop. And it really, it looked fantastic. And I compared it at the time to the iPhone 12 Pro, which video uh -huh. is also very good. And it was pretty tough to split them. There were differences, but in terms of how happy I was with the footage, not sure I could split them. Yeah, I feel like video, a lot of people or companies, I should say, have really upped their game in terms of video because Apple has always been so high up there. Um, and of course, Apple's pushing the envelope again with Dolby Vision. You know, it's really interesting to me that we were in Hawaii last year, like almost 11 months ago at Qualcomm Summit. and you know, there was this big rah, rah, rah about Dolby Vision on the 865. And we ne I don't think we ever saw that on any phone. Yet, you know, I, I may be a little biased because I used to work at Dolby, but I feel like the technology is only on point and they're pretty good at licensing it. And Dolby Vision is a pretty great HDR implementation. And clearly Apple believes in that. So... Why Why didn't Samsung or somebody that uses Qualcomm chips implement that first to be the one to say, hey, we did it. You know, yeah. now it's Apple because got the crown. And you know that for an ecosystem to work, right, for, for Dolby Vision to really take off, it, it's not just capture and playback on one device. You need to be able to look, post on Facebook an HDR <laughs> video and somebody else watch it on, H, on an HDR-capable phone. And so until Samsung jumps in, in my opinion, at least from my US-centric view, not that I'm that US-centric, my audience knows I pay a lot of attention to China and everything else, but you know, looking at it, generally this is driven by, at least on our market, by Samsung and Apple. So if Samsung jumps in now, and maybe Huawei jumps in in China, although I don't know if Dolby is allowed to sell their technology to Huawei at this time, yeah. right? Um, there is, there is uh, that, that would be like, I don't really care what the standard is, I just want a standard for HDR because I really think HDR video is actually okay if it's done right. It's just, it's so problematic for content creators. Like all the YouTube creators I speak to turned off HDR on their iPhone 12s because they can't, you know, they can't use it in their videos. And and we have no content delivery mechanisms that are really 100% Dolby Vision compatible right now other than some high-end TVs, right? So, hmm. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I, th I think as well is, I don't know how many regular people really understand what it is or what they can do with it or the hoops they have to jump to to actually get it on screen, like you're saying. I, I think it's still so incredibly niche. But putting it inside the iPhone may bring it out a little bit more. And that might be why Samsung didn't bother at first is because simply it didn't feel as if it had the oomph to, uh, to get yeah, it into the public eye. It. But at the same time, it's nice to hear that Huawei is doing a good, better job with video recording. Um, I mean, they were never really horrible. Same with Samsung. It's just that they always lagged a little behind uh, behind Apple in terms of like just that color science and a bunch of other stuff. Although I have to say that when I reviewed the Xperia 1 Mark II and, and cine mode or whatever, the Venice stuff... I have to say that shot some pretty freaking amazing <laughs> video. Um, but again, it's like a sample size of 10, right? 10 people are going to buy this phone. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, it's funny so, you should say it. I'm using the Xperia 5 II now, and I still uh -huh. try, I tried out Cinema Pro and Photo Pro, and 
they're just beyond me. I find them so difficult to use. I know it's so hard to use. Yet at the same time, I'm a I have a Sony camera. Like I, I have a I have an old NEX, you know, a mirrorless. So I'm used to the interface. <laughs> like and and even even then, I'm just like, oh, like it's a little counterintuitive. Um, but um, yeah, look, I'm waiting for my Xperia Five Mark II to come at some point. They didn't have many review units in the U.S. because, as you know, we're it's even less popular here, so they haven't been pushing it too hard. But I was lucky to get the Xperia 1 uh, Mark II early on, which was nice. Like It's very rare that Sony gets me a phone early on. So I did a pretty extensive review on hot hardware, if, you, if the listeners want to check it out. And the, the 5 just basically scales down in size, adds uh, a high refresh rate display, but it's not not a 4K display anymore. So, you know, you give some, you lose some. Uh, honestly, I don't think the 5 Mark II is going to be any different in terms of imaging performance than the 1 Mark II. So if you're looking for imaging, pick your screen and pick your refresh rate. That's basically, <laughs> you know, and, and your physical phone size. But I, I like what Sony's doing. Like, I just, it's a harder sell for us here, Andy, because it doesn't support 5G in our markets. Yeah. It's a $1,000 unlocked phone you can buy at B&H and at Amazon and at, I think even Best Buy, and you can't fire up 5G on it. Yeah, it's like, just not acceptable, is it? I don't think 5G is a thing that you should be buying phones for, but when you're spending $1,000, it needs to last. But if you're spending that kind of money and it has the chip in it, like, yeah. that's that's vexing, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, at that point, like, forget it, buy a OnePlus 18, call it a day. That's <laughs> like, it. Exactly. Yeah, so you're happy with the the uh, Mate 40 Pro then. What about the telephoto? Yeah, I am. I, I think, I, I to be honest, I didn't notice any difference with the telephoto that, than I did with the uh, the P40. It still works brilliantly. I'm still happy with the results, but it looked exactly the same. It's 5X optical, right? That's it, yeah. And when you say I'm happy with the phone, I am, but I still can't use it every day because it doesn't yeah. have Google services, and that's <sighs> a problem. So I'm happy with you. the camera and the performance, but not happy that I can't use it every day. It's... um a serious issue for Huawei. I feel like I always have a Huawei of some kind. Right now, the P40 Pro Plus is my muse that's floating around in one of my pockets or bags just because as a content consumption device, at least not streamed, but like if you store content on it, uh, music and videos, and if you capture photos and videos, it's a great device to have. And I can do basic work on it. Like, you know, Outlook allows me to get a pretty good Gmail experience and calendar experience. And I have Instagram and I have Twitter and I have Facebook, which is all I need really to do my social media. But I can't, you know, I'm missing like you know, all the Google Drive and, and all the other Google stuff I use all the time. And it's hard to be serious about email when I can't have, when I don't have labels, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the problem with with a lot of people like Outlook is amazing and I'm like are you are you a Google user because I don't I love the user interface I you I love the experience of the Outlook app from Microsoft which was by the way acquired because they ha I acquired some small independent email developer to get Outlook um and and at the time that email was a very popular client with people who weren't Gmail users and they acquired it 
honestly, the problem for me is I use labels for everything. And then that translates into folders for, for, uh, for Outlook. And it just doesn't work. Like it, you, you can't do the workflows that I'm used to. And then it breaks down. So I can triage email really nicely on Outlook, but I can't, um, you know, and even then, actually, sometimes if I want to label as a triage, it's not happening. But overall, I have to say, he, one thing that's made the Huawei phones more usable in a post-GMS uh, world for me has been Aurora App Store. Aurora? Okay. Yes, I don't know it's that called one. Aurora. You have to Google it. It's part of the uh, F-Droid project, okay. which is a an alternate app store for uh for android so fdroid is where you go if you're like a you know developer androidy person and you want to publish something that you know google will frown upon and and still have some sort of community backed like yes we validate this app isn't doing something bad with your phone kind of thing and fdroid itself um hosts a bunch of uh, apps obviously and Aurora is an app on F-Droid that you can download. So you can download F-Droid, install Aurora from F-Droid, then delete F-Droid and have Aurora installed and it'll self-update as long as you give it, you know, unknown sources access. And Aurora is a replica of the Google Play Store. It connects to the Google servers for this. (laughs) And... It uses it creates anonymous logins on Gmail to do that each time, so they can't track what apps you download. There's no, it doesn't give the love to Google, and somehow Google has not so far blocked that hole. It's been over a year, at least probably two years now. And if you want exactly the same experience as on the Google Play Store on your Huawei phone, installed Aurora and everything there. Aurora will refresh and update your apps in the background if you want or notify you when apps need to be updated just like Google Play Store does. And you you, you can search. You can just type in a, an, a, an APK. It's so much better than using a, APK Mirror or anything like that. It is so fast. Basically, you can start from scratch with a, with a Huawei phone. Like right now, you know, if you restore a Huawei phone from one that had GMS, you can get all your apps. Mm at least the ones that don't require GMS work. But this is a way to start clean with a P40 Pro or a Mate 40 Pro and not even have anything. Just start with Aurora Store, install that from the web browser, F-Droid first and Aurora Store, and then you're good to go. You can install Instagram, Twitter, all these. Now, some won't work, right? Like Uber won't work because it requires the GMS for the maps and it will fail. So you get different error scenarios here. Some like I give you an example. G Gboard works and installs just fine mm. because it doesn't require GMS. Uh, Chrome works fine and installs just fine. The only thing you can't do is log in, so you can't get your history backed up. You get a local history that gets created on the phone. You get a local; it, it'll remember passwords locally. Everything works, and you you build up a new essentially like entity on that phone with Google Chrome, but you don't have access to your account. So. And Maps is the same way. Maps just works, but it doesn't save all your history and stuff. I mean, it does, but not the, you don't have access to your previous history. That's it. So honestly, to me, that has solved a lot of the problems I've had. Because if I need to install a legitimate S, like APK, some app that I like and use all the time, and I don't want to have to sideload and find on APK Mirror, blah, blah, blah. So I just go to Aurora, type name and search. It pops up. I hit install. It's installed. Then it gets updated when i fire up the phone in the future and it's wonderful it's just wonderful i'll definitely give that a try i mean my problem is more along uh trying to get history of things like you're saying about maps and chrome 
history yeah. is important to me, but it's also messaging apps, which quite often oh, use Google yeah. Drive. And then it's a problem to transfer it over and then transfer it back again should you need to go to a different device. That's extremely problematic. And yeah, I don't make this my daily driver, so I don't install WhatsApp. I don't install you Telegram. Like they're none of these I'd care about because they're they stay on my on my eight pro. So you know that's it. And and for me, I do the same. But it makes it impossible for me to then talk about to people who don't do these yeah. things. And of course, yeah. Because no one is going to install F Droid and Aurora and do all of those <laughs> things. They're simply not going to do it. And it's no, they're not. They're not. <laughs> But I just wanted to point it out there because this keeps coming up, even with my journalist friends. They're like, wait, what? I've never heard of this. No, what I are you talking either. about? This is, I'm like, this is heaven. If you're on a, <laughs> on a Huawei Honor phone right now, it's, it still doesn't solve the problem, but it definitely brings you to an experience that feels like, I mean, App Gallery has, like, I hate to say this because I know Rafael is going to call me right <laughs> after he hears this podcast, but like App Gallery is a freaking disaster. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you can try to spin it any way you want. It's, I don't feel it's gotten better, you know? It hasn't. It hasn't. And there's work being done on Petal Search, which is there sort of originally billed as a way to search for apps, but it, it really didn't work very well at that. And now is being rebranded into sort of a, a complete search system. And I don't feel that that's really where they should be concentrating their efforts no. in a new search system. I understand it's got to happen at some point, but the apps are an issue and I understand why it takes time and why it's difficult, but it, I've used it this time last year and this time this year and I struggle to see many differences and that's, yeah. uh, it's unfortunate. I hear you. Look, I want to reiterate what I always say. The hardware that Huawei makes is top-notch. Their software is pretty damn solid. Yeah. The GMS thing is a huge hurdle, no matter what Huawei would like us to believe. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that if you have that kind of budget, because we get the stuff for free, so it's easy for us. Um, of course, you don't get to keep them long-term, but we get them to play them. I mean, I still have a P40 Pro Plus and a Mate 40 Pro, so there's overlap. So now I'm going to transfer everything to my Mate 40 Pro until before they take back my P40 Pro Plus. But the point is that if you have the money and you're a photography person, you owe your, like a mobile photography fan, like you want to post to Instagram, which you will be able to do after installing Aurora and Instagram yeah. on your Huawei phone. If you're that person, do yourself a favor and buy yourself a Huawei flagship. It's just delightful, delightful for photography. Completely. And it, exactly as I was saying at first, it makes me feel differently when I go out and use it. And not every phone does that. Not every phone gives me the creative outlet that a Huawei does with the camera. It, there is something special about it. And it's been that case for several generations yep. of phone. And yep. A very few other phones make me as excited to go out and take photos as a Huawei phone. As it is for me this year, it's basically been the P40 and Pro and P40 Pro Plus. It's been the iPhones, of course, even though like I haven't don't have the 12 yet, but I'm sure it'll be um, it'll be a wonderful experience for photography. And then, um, as I said to me, what the one that stood out like, and I want to really make this distinction clear because. I know I've mentioned it, but there's a huge difference between these two phones. For me, the Note 20 Ultra, not the S20 Ultra. Like the S20 mm. Ultra uh, is to me a flawed camera where the Note 20 Ultra has some flaws, but I feel like I am pretty happy 
once you learn to work with the super shallow depth of field of this 108 megapixel sensor, it is actually a lot of fun to play with. And then that telephoto is a whole different beast. I mean, it's not a, it's not P40 Pro, P40 Pro Plus level of performance, in my opinion, but it's close and it's it's a much better implementation of the S20 Ultra, like way yeah. better. Like this whole cropping a sensor thing that they did on the S20 series, you know, not the FE, but the the S20, S20 Plus and S20 Ultra, where the telephoto is, a, is partially a crop of a larger sensor to get an equivalent to an optical uh, zoom is is BS. Like it just doesn't, doesn't work. You can see the artifacts and the, it's just not good. Whereas, you know, the... Note 20 Ultra goes back to just optically zooming and it does a pretty good job because of that. And then it has a bit of wiggle room for further hybrid zooming because of the 12 megapixel sensor, you know? Yep, I, I loved using it too. And I loved using it more because of the screen looking at those photos. Oh my God, yes, yes. And I just love the industrial design of that phone. Yeah. I just feel it's just like, it's just like you're holding, you feel like you're holding a, like a weapon. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like, yes, you're not messing about. Like concentrated technology in your hand is what it feels like. And I have a thing for that because I'm a, such a nerd, you know? <laughs> it's an yeah. expensive phone, but I really do think that's worth it. It's, it's been one of the ones that I've continually gone back to when I've had I know. my sim out of something. I'm like, yeah, okay. I can't put it away. Like normally I spend a week or two, maybe three a month at yeah. most with a Galaxy phone. And I'm just like, whatever, Samsung, you know, you've been fun to play with. See you in a year. And and now I'm just like, where's my where's my Note 20 Ultra? Yep. Ah, there it is. Let's take it on this little, you know, I've been doing little drives around the around the coast here in, in, in California and San Francisco to kind of you know get past the the madness of covid uh thankfully we have a low population density compared to the uk so if i go out in the boonies there's really nobody to worry about <laughs> um i've often gone to the northern beaches an hour an hour and a half away from san francisco and found three people on a mile long beach so it's wonderful i take my cameras with me i take photos um and you know, that's when I'm like, where's my Note? Or where's my P40 Pro which, uh, or P40? The Plus has really been my muse. Like the, the dual telephoto is just like, wow. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So Mate 40 Pro, thumbs up. Definitely. We're both happy as photographers. At least I will be happy when I actually take photos with it. <laughs> I trust Andy a lot on this. You're going to love it. Sure. I'm going to love it. Okay. Let's switch to the next big topic for this show, which I think is... A topic we've explored on the show before, but I think is worth revisiting. It's the Pixel 5 versus OnePlus 8T versus Galaxy S20 Fan Edition comparison or which one should I buy discussion because I haven't unfortunately had my hands on a S20 FE. I've asked Samsung and, you know, Samsung's very PR in the US is very fickle. They are... Um, just really hard to get devices from if you're a, a slightly smaller a publication like I am. And uh, they, they're very generous. They sent me a Note 20 Ultra. So like that pretty early on too, which was really lovely. Um, but I have reviewed the 5 and the OnePlus 8T, the Pixel 5 and OnePlus 8T. So w which one would you recommend and what are the criteria? So I went into quite a lot of detail on this because I, I reviewed them sort of back to back I did the yeah. Pixel 5 and then the OnePlus 8T and then the went to the Galaxy S20 FE. 
I didn't review the FE, one of my colleagues did, but I, I used it for a good week and a half, two weeks after I used those other two phones. Right. So it was literally one phone, sim out, into the next one, into the next one. And much as I like Samsung phones recently, and as we were saying about the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra, where I want to put my SIM back in that, the S20 FE didn't have that effect for me. Coming off of the Pixel 5 and the OnePlus 8T, the plastic back of the S20 FE gave it a very different impression. It's off-putting, isn't it? It is, and I didn't... When you use it sort of solo, I've never used any other phone. You know, I've used cheaper phones, and then I go yeah. to that. It doesn't notice as much. When you use those two phones, it really notices, and it's that sort of first impression when you pick it up. You think, mm, this doesn't feel quite right. And it's also really quite large, so you feel that... I don't want to call it cheap. It's not cheap. It just feels not as substantial and expensive as the other two. And it really did suffer because of that, which was a great shame because the rest of it is fantastic. And the price is superb. But if you're putting it alongside the other two, I found it difficult to say, yeah, buy that one instead of really the Pixel 5. Yeah, my take, and again, is based on, you know, speculation, at least on the S20 FE side, but having had similar experiences with other devices that I can't discuss right now, <laughs> um, I can say that the feel of a phone is a big part of the brand of a phone. Mm. And, you know, OnePlus nails that usually. And I felt that with the Nord original, they did nail that actually somehow. Even the plastic mid-frame was uh, disappointing, but you didn't really notice or feel it. There was a hesitation when I looked at it. Is this metal or plastic? And that's good because yeah. you know at that price point that they're going to cut some things. But but with I feel that everybody I've talked to says the FE is clearly plastic and it clearly feels cheaper. But I think that... I I still want to applaud Samsung for saying, look, we can under we can play in OnePlus's backyard of undercutting them. And I think the Pixel 5 is a whole different story. But comparing the OnePlus 8T and the F S20 FE because of the Snapdragon 865, you know, it's like they it's like, you know, move over OnePlus, we're making a OnePlus phone. Except that's only on paper, right? Like yeah. On paper, it's actually even better because there's a telephoto, which I think is way better than the crappy fixed focus macro that we have on, on like that BBK group has been putting on everything. Like, please, if you're going to do this, give us an autofocus on the macro. At least do that. Like, I can understand on a $200 Reno phone or whatever that you're not going to put autofocus on the macro, but on a $749 OnePlus 8T, you cannot have a macro with not autofocus. If you either do that or give us a telephoto or give us even that stupid sensor that's not stupid, but kind of <laughs> gimmicky that's on the 8 Pro and then use the ultra wide with autofocus to give us a macro like just like wow okay like i understand you can't afford to put a telephoto on there fine but somehow samsung did it so spec sheet wise i feel like the the galaxy s s20 fe really nails it but then there's all the un intangibles right and I don't know what it is with the 8T, but I have an 8 Pro, and I know my 8 Pro is a few months old now, so it's probably got a bit of that Android fatigue of, you know, wearing and tearing on the file system and, and CRUD. 
but the 8T just feels so fast. They're both 12 gigabyte uh, RAM versions, so like there should be technically no difference between them in terms of performance. Both 120 hertz display. In fact, my 8T has a higher resolution. Sorry, my 8 Pro has a higher resolution screen, but I run it at 1080p. So I don't know. I don't know. The 8T is magically fast. It is, and it took me a little bit of time to sort of warm to it, but. There's one big thing that we haven't talked about between it and the S20 FE, and mm -hmm. that's software. And oh, because yeah. I went from the OnePlus 8T to the FE, oh, wow. I noticed yes. just, it, it's just so instant. Not just, that it, not just that Oxygen OS is so good, but it's Android 11 on yes. the OnePlus 8T, and it's still Android 10 on the, mm -hmm. the Galaxy. And, and Samsung has got so much better with its software, One UI 2.0. Five is actually, I think, fine. I like using it on the Note 20 Ultra, but on here, it, it annoyed me because I come from Oxygen right. OS, which is almost faultless. And again, this is intangibles, and this is something that OnePlus always seems to nail, yeah. and, and Apple always seems to nail, and Google always seems to nail. And I think that's why these phones are so appealing to us reviewers because we play with everything and then everything feels very vanilla. Like, okay, you know, an LG phone is fine. The software isn't great, but we can work with it and it's okay. But then you go to a OnePlus and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yes, home or, or Pixel or whatever it might be. And I think that's the thing that people, I think, have a hard time understanding. Like, all these Galaxy fans out there, they're like, yeah, but you know, I've got the better specs. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about because you've never used the OnePlus that's or a Pixel or an iPhone. Like, and I think that's kind of what, that's a lost art. And I think Samsung is coming back to it a little bit with some of their flagships. The Z Fold 2 is another one to me that feels magical mm. like that. Not just because of form factor, but the software and the speed and the performance on that phone. I swear there's something more than a 765 plus in that thing. Like it feels like they have two chips in there at the same time. It is so freaking fast and you have to drive this huge display. I don't know how they did it. It's amazing. So yeah, sadly I've not used the, the Z Fold 2 yet, but my, the original Galaxy Fold I thought was also extremely well, well put together software wise for something that was so new. But on, on the Pixel and the OnePlus 8T, there's, they're very similar, right? The Android systems I yeah. find very similar. But what I noticed was, as always with Pixel phones, I find the software experience a little bit dry. It's a little bit characterless, a bit emotionless. Uh -huh. When you go on to the OnePlus 8T, it adds in just the right amount of personality to make it better than the Pixel. Because the Pixel is very this is what we're doing. It's, it's, it's very yeah. rigid. But the OnePlus The Pixel 5 is scientific and clinical. Yeah. The OnePlus 8T is, is the sexy race car driver, right? That's just like, hey, watch this. Yeah, but it doesn't get it wrong. It, it doesn't go over the top. It gets it yeah. just right. Just enough, right? Very it's just stuff. It's like, watch me do like, watch me do my thing. Yeah. It's, it's, that's why I'm so happy with the OnePlus 8 Pro as my daily driver, having come from a history of Nexuses and Pixels. And that's why... I am very mad about the Pixel 5. Like, I appreciate it tremendously. I think it's a really good phone and I will recommend it to many, many people. But my issue with it is that it is completely overpriced and, out and outclassed 
in areas where Google still needs to improve. I, I think that this is a step in the right direction for Google to go mid-range and f focus on their software experience and, and all the things that they're redoing fantastically well. But I also feel that, you know, in the US right now, we can only get the millimeter wave version. So we pay the millimeter wave tax when we buy the unlocked version. And $700 for that phone is, it feels egregious when the Pixel 4a 5G costs 200 less yeah, yeah. and delivers 99% of that experience. Yes, for me, wireless charging is critical. Water resistance is fine, but that's why I can't make the 8 Plus 8T my main phone because of lack of wireless charging. Also lack of the incredible Sony IMX 689 from the main sensor of the 8 Pro, which is, I think this is imaging wise, OnePlus's Apogee at this point, hopefully they'll continue with a pro version someday because this this to me was like the perfect storm of OnePlusness. Because I've been saying for years, I'm willing to pay a thousand or twelve hundred for a OnePlus phone. Go there, go there, do it. But not everybody wants that, and I get it. But I think that interestingly, while I'm saying this, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite, but the <laughs> OnePlus 8T is too expensive. You know? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. The, the I struggled God, so much. God, we're picky with, people, Andy. We are. And I, I struggled God. so much choosing between the Pixel 5 and the OnePlus 8T to sort of say, this is the one you should get. And I actually went down to the Pixel 5 in the end okay. because of the size. I find it ah. just a little bit more manageable than <laughs> the OnePlus 8T and the, the FE because it is just a little bit smaller, but I didn't miss anything with the screen because the screen is still beautiful. It still has a high res, high refresh rate. And I didn't feel as if I was missing anything visually, but I was gaining everything by having a phone that fitted in my pocket and in my bag and didn't, you know, I could actually fit one hand across. So it's interesting because for me, before the before the 8 Pro, which I think is too big, I just want to be 100% <laughs> honest. For me, the perfect size is actually the 8T and the 8 that is the sweet spot for my hands, but the 5 is too small for me. Right. The, the 4A 5G is the right size. Again, if I had to, <laughs> if I had, if I didn't rely on wireless charging so much in my life and I wasn't so accustomed to it, I would absolutely rock a 4A 5G as my daily driver right now. But unfortunately, and also I've been spoiled with 12 gigs of RAM and just as a, a overkill of 865. And like, you know, it's just, and, and the 120 hertz versus 90, I can now notice the difference. It's ridiculous because I live with 120 hertz every day. Um, and it's just, you know, like, oh, I don't know. I want to love, and that's the other thing with a Pixel 4a 5G, you don't get the 90 hertz, which I think is, you know, but look, for me, it's interesting because the 8T is the right size. The 5 is too small. And I before my 8 Pro, I was on a Pixel 3 XL. So I skipped the 4 XL, even though I have a review unit, because I couldn't deal with the Face ID. Like I have so many apps that did not support the new APIs mm. that I'm constantly having to type in pins and stuff in, in, the, in the Pixel 4 XL. So I stayed with my 3 XL for a while until the... 8 Pro came along and then I switched to that. And so when the 5 came around, I was like, okay, maybe this is time to go back, right? But nah, too small. <laughs> and I don't know. I feel that imaging-wise, there's not enough of progress here. Like the yeah. ultra-wide was a given. It should have been in the 4. 
because the 4 was a flagship. This is not a flagship, and I'm accepting the fact it doesn't have a telephoto, but then it's too expensive because it doesn't have a telephoto. You know, it's like all this little... Ah, man, why is so many companies allergic to telephotos, Andy? I think it's because I can't do it right. It's annoying. It is. I hate to butter up OnePlus again because... <laughs> but it's... You have to. The OnePlus 7T, okay? I'm going to put this out there. I've said it a few times, but I want to hear your reaction. The OnePlus 7T has a better camera system than the OnePlus 8 and 8T. You're challenging my memory to go back and th remember what I thought of the 7 Well, it's very simple. It doesn't have the macro, stupid macro right, lens. I call them sticker lenses, Andy. Like yeah. they, they could be a sticker on the back of the phone. Like they're <laughs> irrelevant, you know? So it doesn't have a sticker lens or two in this case. Instead, it has... The ultra wide with autofocus that lets you macro uh, using the autofocus, like like the eight pro does, and it has a telephoto, a proper telephoto. Now there are flaws with that telephoto on the seven T because it doesn't have OIS, but which is like why do you like of all the OISs you could take out, <laughs> but the reality is it's still more useful than a non autofocus five megapixel macro. Okay. And yep. so that is my, my hot take of the day. If you don't care about 5G right now and you're on a budget and you want to get the level of goodness from an 8T or an 8 or an 8 Pro or even a Nord, if you're in a market that doesn't sell the Nord, do yourself a favor, buy a 7T. Yeah, and you still get the great software. That's... And you'll get the Oxygen 11. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, you won't, it won't update for as long because it's already a year old. But you know what? You can keep that thing for a year safely. And then next, next maybe when the OnePlus 9 Pro comes back with a telephoto and wireless charging and all that, <laughs> you can go nuts and buy that and get the 5G goodness and the Snapdragon whatever, 875 by then or whatever it'll be called. Yeah, and we're, we're kind of spoiled on that too with the Galaxy. The Galaxy S20 FE, you can, if you try hard, find the Galaxy S20 Plus for around the same kind of price if you shop around. And that way you miss out on the, uh, the plastic back and you get a proper back. And I think that looking at older phones is actually quite good at the moment because phones have been pretty good for some time. For sure. So what is your take on the imaging system on the... S20 FE. It looks pretty well balanced. Three 12 megapixel sensors, correct? Yeah. Ultra wide telephoto with OIS and main with OIS. And that sounds very similar to the camera system on the Z Fold 2, to be honest. You could very well be right. I when I took photos with it, I was I was as impressed as I am with every Samsung phone because I quite like saturated shots. And everything <laughs> is quite saturated. And it still looked beautiful there's a lot of detail and i think samsung really have improved with their their software and their tuning it is still saturated but there's a nice balance and a nice dynamic range and i liked what it did i also like the design of the camera module as stupid as that may be but it just looks <laughs> a lot better yeah i as much as i feel that there's a certain homogeneity to the design that we're seeing on the 8T and also the new N10 5G, the Nord, the cheaper Nord. They're all going, and, and Samsung kind of started it, and Honor's been doing it as well on some yeah. of its phones. Like kind of like generic rectangular top left corner design. Even though that's very kind of like, you know, in a way kind of boring and everyone's doing it, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it kind of looks fresher than the 
the kind of like teardrop velvet thing and the 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 middle uh vertical bar that i have on my 8 pro for example which i feel looks a little dated now yeah i agree completely i don't i'd rather the stupid as it sounds again i know right cameras should go off to the side i don't really like them in the middle the nokia way of doing things is not i know they tell me it's technically challenging and it's really difficult and all of this but I still prefer it on, on the side. I we told you folks we're fickle. <laughs> See, this is what PR <laughs> people it. and companies have to deal with. Uh, we don't like the camera part <laughs> placement and shape. Please replace it. Come back to us. Um, <laughs> but no, the reality is I feel like, you know, uh, this is nitpicking, but I do like round camera pods. If I want, if I'm going to have something centered, I'm happy with a round pod. I think that this, again, the 70s pod was a really interesting design. And there you go. You, uh, Andy just showed me on Skype here the the back of the Mate uh, 40 Pro. Yeah, look, I like the round pods. Uh, I don't necessarily like the way Nokia has been doing its round pods recently, but I do like. I did like the 70, and I did like the that do like the mate 40 pro although you know i have the black or the darker colored mate 40 pro unfortunately they didn't send me like the beautiful light colored one you have or the yeah, orange the, flaming one that i wanted yeah the sunset or whatever it's called i forget but yes it's i beautiful. have like some kind of boring dark gray blackish blue whatever it might be <laughs> and it's it doesn't have quite that that pizzazz because you don't see that middle piece as much in the middle of the camera right that's it. And it's, it is a slightly different color as well. It catches light in different ways. They've really designed it incredibly well. And because it's larger than the Nokia ones, Nokia ones are just too small. They've made this a proper feature. And I think that's the way yeah. it should be. I mean, go big or go home is what I'm saying right now. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, and that's kind of part of the reason I like the Note 20 Ultra so much is, yes, it is a Mesa on the back of the phone. <laughs> like, you know, a geographic feature. <laughs> but it is... Um, it is purposeful, and I don't think, you know, obviously it's thick enough because the sensor is so big and it needs that Z-depth, right, of the lenses. Um, like, I understand the technical reason and challenge behind it, but they made it look okay. Like, they, it, you know, there's a certain... Pro proportion is something we don't talk about on phones yeah. enough. And you know this because you're a car guy. Like, I love cars too, and we, we have owned some really nice cars you and I, and and we love proportion. And to me, it's like, if it doesn't look right, it's just like, forget it, you know? Absolutely. When you compare the Note 20 Ultra to the S20 Ultra, oh one looks God. right and one looks wrong, despite essentially being large camera bumps on the back of a rectangular phone. Yet one works. It's It's extremely difficult to get right. And this is why I bang on about design. It matters. And and it What's is your favorite design right now all, of all the phones that are current? It's a tough one. Huh? It really is. It really is because several companies get bits right, but I don't really think everyone's getting everything I right. I know, I know, Andy. The OnePlus 8T Cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> edition. There's my segue. Very, very good. Because <laughs> that's got quite the mesa of a camera pod. Indeed it does. Um I'm not going to say that I think it's the best design in the world, but I. It's not. <laughs> but what I do love is that OnePlus still makes special edition phones. I know they went there. Yes, yeah. that's the thing that I love about it. It's like, oh well, we'll just do this. And they don't. It's only a little bit more expensive than the regular one in China, and that's fine. It's not like Huawei with their Porsche design link-ups that are twice the price. It works. Although there is a certain je ne sais quoi about those 
you know, Porsche design phones after using what was yeah. it? The, the one that were you there on that trip? We all went to to drive Porsches. Um, it depends which one, because there was one in the UK and one in I want to uh, say Austria. a year and a yeah in the UK it was in the oh, UK. Oh no, I wasn't on that one. And it was a th- I want to say it was for the so for the mate. It was the May twenty RS. Yes, the May twenty RS. So. They, it was the, the for the launch of the entire May 20 line, they flew a bunch of us U.S. journalists to London and dine and wined us. It was lovely. And they took us to Silverstone to drive some Porsches, which is the first time I drove a GT3 RS. And that changed me forever, Andy. I just <laughs> so want, as a, you're a Boxster driver. I'm a Boxster driver, ex-Boxster driver, because I don't have mine anymore. And we both love our Porsches. But And, and as much as I like the mid-engine, I have to tell you, do not drive a GT3 RS. It will spoil you forever. Anyway. Yeah, so the mate, they gave us a May 20 RS for that single day we were at Silverstone. The morning we got on the bus, they each gave us box. We all did like unbox, shaky unboxing videos on the buses because the box is so cool. It's got like all these like extra gadgets and accessories. and It was just delightful. Yeah. And I have to say... I felt like a rock star between the Porsches and the actual phone they lent, lent us for the day. Man, that those phones are nice. They are. And there is something special about that because it goes back to what we were talking about design because it's designed by people who understand design. There's a reason everything is placed in that way on those phones. And they won't deviate from that to for Huawei's whim or anybody else's. They will do it the way they want to. And it looks and feels exactly right. So I get you are paying for expertise there. But on OnePlus's side, what they're doing is, is, is really cool link-ups. And those special edition phones are saying we don't really see that much anymore. We used to see loads. But today, they're a bit of a rarity. And OnePlus has done it with Star Wars last, what was it, the 5T or whatever, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And now they've come back with another really cool link-up. And yeah, I... I like that they're experimental and the design is actually quite mad. I do miss the McLaren partnership. Yeah. I mean, there's an iconic brand from the UK and again, the car connection. But I remember last year's 7 Pro McLaren edition, um, we had a special version for T-Mobile in the US that had 5G. And I almost made it my daily driver because I'm a T-Mobile customer. So this phone in the US would have been locked to T-Mobile. But... Because I wanted five, I wanted to experience five G uh, sub six, um, but uh, no wireless charging is what stopped me. And so now, of course, the eight Pro has T-Mobile's five G bands and has wireless charging, and that's basically. But it's not a McLaren edition. No, it doesn't, it. Have, it doesn't that, have any that beautiful like orange thing and yes. the crazy case and the you know, ah oh, man. I miss those. But look, kudos to OnePlus for another cool special edition phone. That's kind of all I was going to talk about here. Uh, briefly, want to kind of pick your brain on the Cat S62 Pro that you just reviewed. And for the listeners, to be clear, all the things we just discussed, the Mate 40 Pro, the Pixel 5 versus 8T versus S20 FE, uh, all that, I'm going to link to Andy's stories that he wrote on Digital Trends. And this is another one. So I've played with the Cat S60. A little inside baseball. The Cat S60 is my most popular, most viewed video on my YouTube channel. Who had thought? Um, that was two years, three years ago. No, it's 2015. It's a while ago. And then the S61 came out since then, and I played with that. And now we have the S62. Now, the S60X series of cat phones are the ones with the FLIR imaging system, a proper thermal vision setup. 
And so these phones were always overpriced, definitely bulletproof in the sense of, you know, it's funny that the parent company of cats named Bullet because I know it's not spelled the same way, but whatever. They're very rugged and very wonderful phones, although now there's this whole ecosystem competing with them. Like I reviewed the Blackview phone recently with, well, back in around CS time with, with the uh, FLIR camera in it. And Blackview is, you know, certainly much more affordable than a cat phone and mm. more modern in terms of specs, at least than the S61 was, which is getting long in the tooth. So does the X62 Pro finally come down in price, play competitively in terms of specs, or is it just another overpriced, you know, bulletproof FLIR phone? Well, there's a problem right from the start. And that is that this does not have US bands inside yet. Oh, well. So the phone is currently European and UK only. I got confirmation today that they will be launching a US compatible version early next year. Good, and, so I'll ping them about that. And when I, when I did the uh, launch, it was quoted at 749 for the US price. So That's not bad. Not bad. But... It's still only got a Snapdragon 660 inside and the screen is not fantastic, not super bright. Um, So you are getting low specs. What you're paying for is obviously the toughness and that FLIR thermal camera. But then you can buy a Blackview with FLIR for less than $500. Now you get a MediaTek Helio P90 or something. You know, but honestly, at that point, I'd rather have a P90 than a 660. Yeah. <laughs> like, give me it, at least a Snapdragon 690. Give me at least 5G. Like, Yeah, no 5G. Of and course not. The 660 is, it's not. It's old. It is. And it's not the snappiest of performers. And it felt that way. I used the phone only for a short time because it wasn't a full review that I, that I was going to do on the phone because there's no US launch date yet. Right. So it was sort of a bit hard going. Hands on. That's it. Um, but what I did really like about it is that it they've thought about design. We're going to keep going back. That's going to be a theme this time. <laughs> they thought about it because it was comfortable to hold, even though it's it's massive and it's really thick and really very heavy. But it was still really okay to carry around and to hold. It didn't feel ruggedy, and I think a lot of cheaper ruggedy phones. They feel rugged. You, you, you know that this is not a pricey, well-designed phone. Yep, but they yep. thought about this. There's texture in the right places. The aluminium sides are strong and, and they've got plenty of grip. I liked it to hold. I just didn't really like to use it. And as, as I'm not somebody who uses the thermal camera, it, uh-huh. you know, it, it never yeah. felt as if something I'd use on a long-term basis. I mean, it's a cool thing, especially if you're a DIY person or if you professionally are a contractor um, in a a home, uh, you know, contract business like plumbing or electrical or HVAC. It it does definitely help you identify hotspots by shining a a thermal camera on a on a on a piece of equipment. Mechanics could benefit from that too, um, yeah. obviously. And I think they use FLIR cameras. There's, FLIR has a dedicated ecosystem of professional handheld. Like they look like little temperature 
guns, you know, like that you use right now that are very popular right now with COVID, <laughs> but they are used for thermal imaging instead. And like they point them at the engine bay and they're like, oh, this seems a little too hot. What's up with that? And, it, you know, so having that on your phone is cool. I just feel like I have a, I have to say I have a soft spot for a rugged phone simply because, you know, I, I, I go to Burning Man every year because I work there. That obviously this didn't happen in 2020, but I should be going back next year. And every time I go, I request, you know, a relatively recent rugged phone from a manufacturer last time i went in 2019 it was an elephone okay. from a company in shenzhen um then i've taken Blackview phones there i've taken so i have the atom xl which is a tiny tiny rugged phone from Unihertz. <laughs> it's really cool it's like the size of an iphone se first generation but it's uh-huh. android and it's a rugged phone and then i've, I've taken of course the cat i took the cat uh, i think s60 and s61 there it's nice to take to burning man because you can also look at fire <laughs> since there's a lot of fire art you can see you can see where the hottest spot is so you don't hurt yourself i did notice with the the camera on here because the flare camera is is their latest one and it's not been put into another rugged phone ah and it did react quicker than i remember using the s61 i used the s61 at a trade show only for a short time but it was not fantastic this is definitely quicker when you start moving around rooms it recognizes cool spots as i'm in the uk at the moment much much quicker and it's got a really cool uh, sort of um, average temperature chart that allows you to understand the temperature range and that also worked very very quickly that's great. I'm I'm looking forward to playing with it. And um, I want to quickly wrap things up with a couple of news items, really. Apple is having a One More Thing event on November 10th. This is next week. We expect to get uh, the details on the new Silicon, Apple Silicon-based Macs. So I'm pretty excited about that as a Mac user, even though I'm not excited about the fact that I can't run my 32-bit apps anymore on my Intel Macs if I upgrade to Catalina. So I've held back on that. So I think I'm going to have to find a new workflow for a whole bunch of apps that are legacy apps. But I am excited about the idea of a Mac running on ARM and all the goodness that brings in terms of performance, battery life, potential 4G, 5G integration, etc. Yeah, I'm excited too on a purely personal level because I've held off buying a new Mac to see what they're going to do. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, actually. I still have my portable Mac, like my travel Mac when I go on, when I used to travel, is an original MacBook 12-inch Retina. So like the ultra thin, ultra light, the original, not even the updated version. It's a little long in the tooth in terms of performance. I mean, I I bought the maxed out version, so I'm not not running out of space and RAM is sufficient, but that processor is just hurting. And uh, I can't wait to get something like that, that is super light and thin and portable with ARM-based silicone or Apple. I know Apple doesn't want to say ARM, but we all know better. (laughs) at this point yeah so i'm looking forward to this and um the last little bit of news it's really just a rumor at this point but we just talked about nokia and camera pods in the middle there is the 8.35 g which is kind of like i guess essentially their flagship at the moment since there's no 9 series right now which is really not a flagship with an ips panel and a 765 g but 
Okay. Yeah, right? it, for Nokia, it's it's as high as it gets at the moment. And and I'm not going to... I reviewed it recently, and I, I really liked it, to be honest. I actually thought it was a really nice little phone. It just seems overpriced Price, yeah, in, at this time, yeah. in this zeitgeist right now of, you know, fall of 2020, when it was announced, like, what was it, back in March or That's February? It. Then it seemed, like, price competitive. But, you know, we now have the OnePlus 8T at the same price <laughs> yes. point in the U.S., if you convert. So it's like, uh, why would you buy that? Yeah. Um, so apparently there's a rumor that this is coming to Verizon in some form or another. Obviously with millimeter wave, I assume since Verizon has been basically pushing custom version of their phones, uh, of various phones uh, for their own network for the whole year now. So I don't know what this news is about, but we'll keep you posted as soon as it's public, if it ever is true. Yeah. There you go. Well, I quite like the phone. I'm not sure the addition of millimeter wave 5G will make it any better or any cheaper if that should happen. Well, millimeter wave 5G, you know, as I said in last week's show where we went over the TCL 10 5G, again, the the UW version, which is the ultra wide, mm. aka the Verizon specific version of that phone, which is actually a slightly different variant than what you guys have in Europe. Millimeter wave is magical once you when you're standing at that street corner line of sight with the cell and getting <laughs> 1.8 gigabits down. But do you see the all the ifs in that statement? Like yeah. if you're at the street corner, if you have a millimeter wave phone, if you have a SIM card that's provision, if you pay for that service, if you are line of sight, and if you're you know like who does that? Us. <laughs> that's it. Well, exactly. But otherwise, who does that? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No. So. Yeah. And nobody should. That's the key thing. Nobody should. Yeah, nobody should. So the point is that I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying millimeter wave sucks. I think eventually it's going to be a thing and it's going to matter. But right now, don't go buy a millimeter wave phone. And so, yeah, I mean, Verizon has to do something. They just started rolling out their sub six. So they've been on millimeter wave as their primary 5G marketing vehicle for a while now, right? So they had to do something. It fits in with the Nokia 8.3's big selling point anyway which was that it was a global 5g device it had all right. of the bands covered and it it would work wherever you took it in the world and adding should they do so another 5g option would actually fit in quite well with what they said the 8.3 is all about for sure all right andy do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet Sure, absolutely. You can find me at Digital Trends, of course, and you can find me on Twitter at Andy Boxall, and you can find me on Instagram under the same name. And you should all go check that out. Uh, you know where to find me, folks, on the internet. I'm at Tankerl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character. Just drop the vowels and then you get my handle. And it's the same on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is where is a good place to go to uh, discuss the show. So if you want to like comment or correct or argue or whatever, this is a place to go. Go to Twitter. <laughs> also, sometimes I post some fun stuff there. Instagram is more where you'll find photos, obviously, of uh, the phones I'm reviewing, of the uh, photos I've taken with phones I'm reviewing. So some good content there, hopefully. If you want to see the Mate 40 Pro photos, keep an eye on Instagram. 
There's also a YouTube channel. Uh, there's actually two YouTube channels now. There's youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast, which is the main YouTube channel where you'll see a lot of unboxings, hands-on, some review content about specifically the phones and the devices that I talk about here on the show. But my producer and I recently started a sub-channel called Mobile Tech More. So youtube.com slash mobile tech more. We need subscribers. So please, we just started. So please go and subscribe to both channels, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast and youtube.com slash mobile tech more the the more channel is like all these weird accessories we get like air purifiers robot vacuums usb-c portable battery blenders <laughs> i mean i get a lot of cool stuff sent and my producer loves that stuff so they're doing videos now on, on that on that content so check it out it's fun and we'd appreciate you subscribing since we're just getting started and then, of course, there's the podcast, which lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. If you want to have an RSS feed, you'll find one there if you're old school. But otherwise, we're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, pretty much everywhere you can find a good podcast, you'll find the show. And if you have the ability to rate the show or review the show in your podcast app, please do. It really helps. Finally, we have a donate link in the show notes. So the show notes should be accessible from your podcast app. We'll have links to a bunch of Andy's content. But more importantly, there is a donate link. So click through that. It's a PayPal link. It's pretty straightforward. If you can contribute in some way to make this show continue, that'd be great. And also, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible's been with the show since the early days. They're pretty awesome. If you like books, if you like reading like I do, but you maybe want to listen to a book instead of actually read it, this is a good solution. The nice thing is that you can help the show by helping Audible with a special offer that they have by clicking through the link that I'm going to give you in a second. Basically, you get a 30-day free trial and you get to keep a book at the end, whether you stay or not, but hopefully you stay. Uh, the link is audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And if you join Audible, even if you just try it out, you'll see it's amazing. They have an incredible selection of books first of all secondly you know a lot of them are epics like star wars like they, they have the the movies adapted into books and like you're talking 11 hour epic listening right so they can break that down into multiple sessions you know podcasts are great they're half hour an hour two hours but this is like long form in audio format pretty awesome stuff i like how a lot of books are read by the authors too which really gives them a unique flavor so check out Audible, audibletrial.com slash mobiletech. Join if you want. It'll help the show. And uh, yeah, thanks to Audible for being a longtime sponsor and supporter of the show. And Andy, thank you for being back on the show yet again. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me along. Always lots of fun. No worries. We'll have you on again at some point. And folks, there'll be another show next week. Uh, I think I'm going to have some interesting guests, so stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.